and a car pulled up in front of us with its radio on, and they just looked at us and said, hey, man, the World Trade Center's just been hit by a plane right in the middle of the street in Atlanta, Georgia. Ran to his car, we rushed to the church, and we spent the next 10 or 12 hours there. So the night of September 11th, I preached a revival sermon about America, the night of the attacks, of the day of the attacks. I'll never forget where I was. Never forget that moment. On that Tuesday morning in 2001 at about 9 a.m., we all remember the first images of the North Tower, which had been hit by American Airlines, flight number 11, at 8.46 a.m. 92 people were on board that Boeing 767, and they all instantly died, along with many more inside of that North Tower. At first, we didn't know what was happening. Do you remember that? I do. At first, I didn't think the word terrorist. That didn't come into my mind. I mean, I, we weren't familiar, all too familiar with really terrorism. And I mean, we had some terrorist attacks, like I said, a few here and there. But I mean, it didn't really enter. For some reason, I was more thinking, and the pastor with me, that this is just a crazy freak accident. This is one of those things where just a pilot, you know, w- wait till you hear this story. I wonder what it's going to be. We didn't really know what was happening until a few minutes later. When United Flight 175 struck the South Tower at exactly 9.02, 62 passengers and flight crew members were killed on board that day, in in addition to all those that were in Tower Number 2 as well. It was another Boeing 767. And now all of a sudden, we are almost certain it's a terrorist attack on our nation. A little bit later... We hear of another attack. It's interesting. This one is often forgotten. I've talked to people before that have said, man, isn't it crazy those those three planes that, you know, and they forget the fourth plane, the one that hit the Pentagon. And that plane flew straight into the Pentagon. It was a flight number 77, a Boeing 757. 64 were on board as it went up in flames and killed 125 Pentagon workers as well. And then there was that fourth flight. The fourth flight that we all remember that crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Be a large memorial service that day. As Todd Beamer and some other passengers, remember the story of Todd and some other of his his passenger friends on that flight number 93 who stormed the cockpit. And they helped bring down those high... That hijacked airliner in the rural fields of Shanksville, Pennsylvania, the terrorist target was either the Capitol building or the White House, which was less than 20 minutes away. No one has ever doubted, no one has ever doubted that that plane was headed for the White House or the Capitol building. This was one of the four hijacked planes that did not reach its target. And 45 people were murdered. That's right. Murdered by jihadists. Our nation is appropriately commemorating September 11th. I believe this is appropriate. I believe when President Bush asked our nation to never forget that he did the right thing. I think the September 11th memorial at the World Trade Center that has been open now for five or six years uh, is, is the right thing to do. The names of all 3,000 people are on the, the walls there and displayed there. I have never been to that site. How many in this building, just out of simple curiosity, 
have been to that site in New York City, would you raise your hand? Wow, a good number. We only had one in the early service, and we have many more in this service. I would love one day to go to that spot and visit. But how should Christians remember September 11th? The Bible puts great emphasis on remembering. I don't know if Mr. Bush knew this or not, but there is a theology about remembering in Scripture. I mean, it's literally something that I believe Jesus puts such incredible emphasis on. The Holy Spirit oftentimes teaches us, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter number 5 and verse number 15, when he says, and remember, or 15.5, excuse me, 5.15, that's right. Remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt. In Deuteronomy, from the very beginning of time, God said, I want you to remember when. Remember when this happened. Remember when you were in this condition. And I brought you out through a mighty hand by by my stretched out arm. For those who reject Christ as Savior, Jesus said these words. Remember Lot's wife. Remember. Remember when she turned and walked away from God and she turned into that pillar of salt? What an illustration of those who reject Jesus Christ and not turn into a pillar of salt but burn forever in a place called hell. That's not hard preaching. That's not mean preaching. That's just the truth. Jesus told of Abraham who told the rich man in hell, Remember. Remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things. And likewise, Lazarus in his lifetime, he received evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Remember. Because everyone who dies without Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and goes to hell will not lose their memory. They will remember the day in Arkansas at a church on Garland Street when a pastor passionately preached and said, please today be saved. You remember this moment, this face, this passion. Forever it will be in your mind. Please don't let that be something you have to remember. I'm trying to say this. We will never stop remembering. The unsaved in hell will only remember the bad. But the believers in heaven will only remember the good. So again, what should we remember about 9-11 as believers? Well, let me present to you four things. And it may shock you a little bit. You may be surprised at how I went about this title this morning. Because the first thing that believers should remember is that we are all depraved. We should remember just how depraved we are. We have a tendency on a day like this to look at those evil people who did this evil act and think for some reason that maybe we're just better than them. And yes, I agree that the total depravity of man was showcased On 9-11, never was there a day in my lifetime where I've ever seen it showcased more. 19 hijackers turning four airliners loaded with jet fuel, about 10,000 gallons each, into terrorist 
weapons, murdering 2,977 human beings who were all made in the image of God. Those 2,977 killed included civilians in 38 states, over 70 countries. The dead included 343 firefighters and 60 police officers and 55 U.S. military personnel. And then in addition to the 3,000 that were killed on that day were the 3,000 children who were left behind. 3,000 children who had a parent die that day. And the average age of those 3,000 children was nine. Nine. Many children born after 911, women who were pregnant, who are now widows, without a husband and a father to help raise their child. But I want to remind you, that we're all depraved. You say, Pastor, wait a minute. Surely we're better than they are. Well, let me let Scripture say it. Look at Romans chapter 3. What then? Are we better than they? Can we say that we're better than anyone else? Can anyone else say he is better than anyone else? Can anyone else say in the world that was ever born Well, I'm better than that Gentile, or I'm better than that Jew, or I'm better than that color, I'm better than that person, I'm better than that race, we're better than that country. Can anybody say we're better? No. In no wise. For we had before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all, all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. If pride, if there's any pride welling up in you right now, it is not, it is not of God. If, if you have pride in your heart right now, trust me, if there's something going on where you say, I just don't like this, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Listen, today, this is not about we are better than they. This is about we are all depraved. We need to remember that. Their throat is an open sepulcher. We don't like that, do we? That, we, we read these scriptures. That, listen to this. Their tongues they have used to seat the poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. And what we want to do is read that, hear that, and want to say, well, that's not me. No, no. You see, Pastor, I'm not that bad. We need to remember that, but for the grace of God, there go I. This is not about, I'm not, I'm better. No, no, no. This is, it is only God's grace that you're not those things. For there is no fear before of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. That every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets... Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all 
and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We learn that. September 11th teaches us that. We must remember, number one, just how depraved we are. Number two, we should remember how deceived we are as sinners. How deceived we are. The 19 hijackers led by Osama bin Laden were Islamic jihadists who in their perverted thinking were serving their God. That's what they thought. They were serving Allah. As Flight 93 was plunging to its demise in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, one of the terrorists shouted on that little black box, they heard it, Allah Akbar, which means Allah is the greatest. They believed that martyrdom would seal their eternal destiny with Allah. They believed that with all of their hearts. They were deceived. They were deceived. That's a lie. But it's no different than any other religion who bases their salvation in works. They're deceived too. No different. Someone who believes that is deceived, but someone who believes that it is by the works of the flesh that you can be made righteous is just as deceived and will die and go to the same hell that they are going to. You see, sometimes we like to look at somebody else's deception and compare it to our our little issues. Well, you know, uh, well, yeah, I'm trying to work my way to heaven. I'm trying to be good. I go to church and we, we like to line up our reasonings and, and say, well, you know, that, that's different though. It's no different. It's deception. It's a lie. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. The Quran teaches evangelism by murder. Convert to Islam or be killed as a heretic. Christianity is not perfect, but thank God we have a perfect Savior, amen? And a perfect Holy Bible which teaches us to love God with all of our heart and our neighbors as ourselves. Today, what I say is we love, we love them, and we want them to know the same Jesus that we do. Christianity converts not by hatred, but by love. And that's what John teaches. John teaches in Scripture, in chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. Listen to this. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify what we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. And if I told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It is the love of God that this world needs. It's an understanding that God died for them. He loved them so much that if they were the only person living on planet Earth, he would have died for them, regardless of everything they've done. I read this morning of 
one of the men who planned the terrorist attack who is serving right now at Guantanamo Bay. Six life sentences. He spends his life in a room, 23 hours in a room. There's one sliver of light. There's a toilet. I think one of the little thing, and he spends 23 hours a day in that room. He spends one hour a day chained in shackles, but he gets to walk for one hour a day just to get a little bit of exercise. Six life sentences. They say he'll never get out. And here's what God told me to tell you this morning. God loves him and would love to save him if he would cry out to Jesus for mercy. He's deceived. He's deceived. But Jesus died for him. Jesus loves him. Jesus wants to save him. You say, how do you know that? Well, let me tell you how. Number three, we should remember how patient God is. Why doesn't God just wipe every radical jihadist off the face of the earth? That's what I would do. Before you, <laughs> Sorry, Jeremy, that was the wrong spot. That's okay. <laughs> You're getting there. <laughs> no, that's good, that's good. Hey, by the way, I, no, that was a good spot. Because that's how we feel. You see, some of us are pharisaical, so we, we watch where we say amen. We say amen at all the spots that make us look good. Because we got to look good, right? We don't need anybody to know how we really feel. The truth of the matter is, hey, you don't have much patience, and neither do I. Look how sometimes you treat your spouse. Look at sometimes how you treat your children. Look at sometimes how you treat each other. Right? We don't have much faith. We try, we do our best, but we're flesh. And sometimes we're like, I've had enough. And sometimes, John, I watch the television and I want to put my fist through it. I'm going to say, I can't believe this. What's going on? I get upset. I get angry at crime and, and hatred and, and killings and murders. And somebody that would walk in a building and spray it and just kill innocent lives. And a child who dies. And you think, this is insane. And they go through, they, they go through trials and they get off. Or they, or they get put in prison for just a few. And, and you get so upset and your patience runs thin. And you make a statement that you regret later. Like, man, it'd just be better if they just would die. But how does Jesus feel? Well, he tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men are, but he's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish. Even, even the jihadist with a six-year life term sitting at Guantanamo Bay, even him. Even him. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent. You say, well, I guess that doesn't make sense to me. It, it doesn't to me either, but it just so happens that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And if we could figure... Look, look if, you, if you're trying to figure God out, I got a recommendation. Ask Josiah about this. Ask Jordan Elkins about this. Ask Stephen Sellers about this. Ask Vince Russo about this. We went to the Creation Museum Friday. Anybody ever been to the Creation Museum? Oh, my goodness. It's in Kentucky. We, we did a Teen Revolution rally, and the pastor took us to, got us free tickets to the Creation. It's the greatest thing. I mean, I'm like, I've lived all these years and never been. I, I want to go to the Ark now, that Ark Encounter. Man, let's just load up buses and go. The greatest trip we ever took as a church. I walked, I walked inside that, that Creation Museum. We're going through seeing the, and then we go to that, 
that, that uh, stargazer presentation and you sit in this room. Vince, was it not amazing? It was, it was incredible. And it starts off and then it builds and builds and builds to where you, you see the mighty, all-powerful God that we serve and the handiwork of the heavens and the universes and the stars. of the, And you think, and you go back to earth and, and then it says, we are his crown jewel. We're, we're, we're who he loved the most. He put us on this little speck in the universe. And he sent his son Jesus on that speck to die for our sins. What a mighty God we serve. If you've never read Psalm chapter 33, read it. It's a great chapter. Oh yeah, it's got the little verse, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We like to quote that one. But what about the other verses in that chapter? Read the whole chapter. Yes, it does say, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that's true. But when you read how awesome God is and how we can't, there's no way to defeat Him. There's no way to, oh, God is so powerful. He rules the universe. And if you think for a minute, he's worried about a jihadist. God's got this thing, guys. He's in control. It's an incredible thing to begin to think about the awesomeness of God. We should remember how patient God is. But you know what's interesting? That's a good verse, isn't it? But look at the next verse. Judgment. The next verse. Oh, God's not willing that any should perish, but but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens and the earth shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Oh, God loves the world, but there is coming a day when the last person will be saved, when the rapture will come, when this earth as we know it will be burned up. Please be saved before it's too late. God is patient. God is patient. But there will come an end to that patience. And then number four. We should remember in closing just how merciful God is. We need to remember the tragedy that happened on 9-11. But we also need to remember the heroism of that day. Think about the heroes of that day. I was reading this morning. I got up early just to just to kind of experience what's going on in New York. I do that through Fox News is what I do. I just, man, I, I, I enjoy the right articles. There's bad ones, but there's good ones. So I'm reading about today and all that's going to take place. They're going to tell the story of the chaplain for the New York Fire Department who on September 11th stood in tower number one. He entered with all of his department, the chaplain did. I'm guessing Eric, the chaplain, is, would, would the chaplain be a fireman too, kind of? Would he be considered like a, is he like part of the department? I think so. The way that I was reading it, it almost seemed like he was one of y'all. So he's in with these guys. Now, they're going up the stairs, Eric. They're, they're all rushing up to save lives. And he is in the lobby praying with hands high. Oh, God, as they go up the stairs to save lives, help as many people to come down. Save lives, God, save And he's praying Verbally, people are being drugged out, bodies, body parts, body remains, people screaming and yelling, burn, no hair, fried up. They're being drugged out while he prays, and they're saying, get out while you can, get out while you can. They said he would not leave as long as there was one fireman in there trying to rescue lives. He said, I'm going to remain. 
You know what happened. He died with them. He gave his life as he prayed. And today they credit his prayers with saving the lives of dozens of people that day. What about Bruno Del- Dellinger, a Frenchman who tells this story? He worked on the 47th floor of the North Tower. He was headed downward an overheated stairwell. As people walked down from the upper floors, he said, and if you ever read stories, of course, you know they were jumping from the buildings as well because of the heat. So they're coming down the stairwells from the upper floors. And he said they were just regular people like you and me who were burned so badly. No skin, no hair. Many were being carried down by people. He met firefighters going up. And Bruno said you could see in their eyes a great concentration. Like they knew something. Here here were Bruno's words about this. He said there was no panic whatsoever. You ever seen these firemen at work? You and I are running. They're just, they're standing right there. They're going in. We're running. They're going in. Just like Jesus. He went up Calvary's Hill so we could come down. Hey, we're we're talking about bravery. We're talking about heroes. We're talking about courage. He said they were focused on doing their job. Listen to this statement. He said they were walking up to their death so that those walking down could live. Wow. We need to remember that. But church, who is the greatest champion of all? Who is the greatest hero of all? There is no hero. The greatest act of love and mercy for others did not happen in New York City on September 11th. Rather, it happened on Calvary when Jesus Christ died for the sins of mankind he could have called 10,000 angels he could have and would have had the right to listen he wasn't guilty we were he had never sinned we did he died for us listen the, the, the urgency in my voice, the, the passion for which I preach is because on the night before he died, he instituted the Lord's Supper and Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget it. Tell it. Talk about it. Share it. Make sure to let people know what I did for them, how much I love them. And I'm telling you this morning, God loves you that much. He loves you that much. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. And though these acts of heroism on September 11th are amazing, it doesn't compare to what Jesus did for you. You see, there's been only one death that has saved every life that's ever been born. And that's Jesus Christ. And when he rose from the dead, he made it possible for everybody to rise from the dead as well. And to go to heaven and spend an eternity with him. But I I want to remind you of something that will happen if you get saved and trust Christ today. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Hey, God says, remember. I'm about to have a fit. 
God says, remember so I can forget. Remember. Remember what I did for you when I died for your sins because I want to forget your sins. I don't want to remember them anymore. So you remember so I can forget. That's what happens when you get saved. Every sin, past, present, and future, God says, forgiven. Forgiven. Wow. How incredible is our God. We serve an incredible God. So this morning, if you're in this building, on the balcony, the main floor, anywhere in this building, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you today to ask the greatest hero in the universe, Jesus Christ, who went up a hill called Calvary and shed his blood so you could be saved. I want to ask you today, would you accept him? Would you be saved today? Would you say yes to Jesus? With every head bowed and every eye closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I wonder if there might be someone here this morning that would just, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, right now, pray. Just ask him. Let me help you. Let me help you to ask him something maybe like this from your heart. Dear Jesus. Think about it. Dear Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. Jesus, today, right now, I ask you to come into my heart. I I accept, Jesus, your payment for my sin. I repent. I, I turn from my sin and I turn to you, Jesus, and your nair scarred hands. Make me, Jesus, make me the kind of person that you want me to be. With heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, if right where you're seated, for the very first time in your life, you just prayed and asked Jesus to come into your heart. With no one looking around, would you just simply raise your hand where I can see that decision and and just rejoice with you? Would you raise it right now? Thank you very much. Yes, sir, I see that hand, my brother. I love you. Who else? Thank you, my brother. Pastor, right now, I want to raise my hand and say that this morning I've asked Jesus to save me, to come into my heart, to become my Savior. I did it today. Would you raise your hand right now before we begin to sing in just a moment could i see your hand in the balcony on the main floor we're waiting for you if you prayed and asked christ to save you amen god bless you sweetie now if you're in this building and you raised your hand or maybe you maybe you just still got some questions i want to i want to tell you something we love you god loves you and that's why we're here if you want to peek up here for just a moment not you that are praying but you that have prayed Jason over here to my left and my name's Eric, this is Jason we're going to be up front, we'd love for you to come forward in just a moment and tell us about your decision or come up to us after church that'd be fine too, we'll, we'll hang out we'll meet you at the flagpole we want to talk to you about what you've done and if you're here today and you've been saved but maybe you've been neglecting to remember and you've kind of come to this service not really knowing what to expect but your awareness 
of 911 and your awareness of Calvary has been greatly heightened and you want to come and just kneel and thank God for it, what it means to you. Your freedom as an American and your freedom in Christ. You, you're welcome to come as we sing one of the greatest invitation songs in the world. Calvary covers it all. Father, I love you. Bless the remainder of our time together. Speak to hearts. Move in this place. Take over, God. Take over, God. Holy Spirit, move, walk, work. Oh, Jesus, may we not be ashamed of you. If someone this morning has prayed, God, give them that courage to come forward and speak to Jason and myself. Give them that courage. I love you, Lord. I thank you for this service and all that you've done. And I pray that you move in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand? And while you're standing, if you need to come, come right now. The Savior alone carried the cross for all of my day. He paid the cost. Salvation complete. Now forever I'm free. Calvary, Calvary.
Jesus.